I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Burko. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Ditloff. This week we got another guest. We're lucky enough to have another guest and we don't have to figure out something to talk about for an hour. And that's cool. I like that. It's cool for us. It's cool for the listeners. Uh, it's cool all around. A win-win-win, you might say. <laughs> I might. This week we got Ryan Cagle on the show. He is back. You, everyone's been asking for him. <laughs> We've gotten email after email every week asking when Ryan's coming back. People keep tweeting. They keep tweeting. Uh, we're trending. The Magnificast was trending. People are saying, bring Ryan back or we'll stop listening. And uh, we're giving the people what they want. That's right. We can't ignore the voice of the people. We're, we're so uh, invested in the participatory radical democratic project that this podcast is that we've got Ryan back on the show. Um, folks, if you don't remember, Ryan is a great guy, Ryan Cagle. He's a great guy from Alabama, <laughs> and he's he's uh, kind of doing these really interesting theologically infused mutual aid, um, I don't know, operations, <laughs> deployments. I have no idea what to, exactly <laughs> to call them. Um, but uh, needless to say, Ryan is an extremely thoughtful but also practically minded, I think, organizer in Alabama who's doing a lot of really good things for his community. And uh, I'm really excited for everyone to hear about it. The other thing you got to know about Ryan is that he has some extremely interesting takes uh, and uh, he's done a lot of interesting thinking around role playing games and their sort of um, spiritual importance and I'm here for it, man. I love it. It's great. It is great. Probably one of my favorite parts of the interview for sure. Uh, Ryan also has a ton of little projects going on. Little, not in a diminutive sense. I guess I mean, like, Ryan has somehow cobbled together a life full of extremely interesting things. <laughs> that is really what I mean to say. And uh, we'll hear about them on the podcast for sure. But you can and you should. Uh, support Ryan in many different ways. Uh, it goes to help his community in Alabama, but also you get a great T-shirt out of it. For out of it, for instance, if you support him on his Redbubble store, uh, as Matt was just saying, he has this great interest in role playing games, which translates into creating some really great ones uh, through a, a, a co op that he has uh, been participating in called Paradox Press. Lots of stuff that you can do to support what Ryan's up to, and you get uh, a lot of great stuff out of it yourself. So uh, I encourage you to, after this episode, 
go find all the many kind of uh, all the many pathways into interesting things that being a being in touch with Ryan <laughs> will allow you to explore. Yeah, for sure. We'll put it all in the show notes so yeah. you can you don't have to go find it. You can just look right there. All right, let's go to Ryan. Thanks for coming back to the show, Ryan. Uh, for folks who haven't listened to the previous episode, we did have Ryan on the show in the past to talk about this really wild and wonderful project called Jubilee House and some of his work around role-playing games and all kinds of other stuff. And this time around, we want to hear some updates about those things. You know, sometime on, sometimes on the show, we get a cool guest. They tell us about all these great things that are going on, and then we just kind of don't <laughs> don't hear anything else ever again. Uh, but we want to check in with Ryan. Uh, there have been some cool developments we've been following online. I'm wearing a, a T-shirt from Ryan's Place. Uh, <laughs> is that the official name of your store? Probably not, Ryan's Place. <laughs> um, but uh, you'll find out where you can get a very cool T-shirt as well. Uh, but before we get to all these updates, Ryan, for folks who maybe haven't listened to that episode, don't know who you are, maybe you could give us a really brief introduction. Who are you and what are you all about? Yeah, uh, thanks guys for letting me be here again. Um, I am Ryan Cagle and, uh, because you're fine with swears on the show, I do a whole lot of shit. Um, (laughs) or as my mom would say, I just, I have way too many irons in the fire typically. I uh, feel like I have my hands in all kinds of things, but um, I guess most uh, pertinent to the conversation is that I'm, I guess I would say I'm an anti-capitalist faith organizer in the backwoods of Alabama, um, where I organize Jubilee House, which is the primary topic of uh, our conversations in the project. Uh, Jubilee is kind of um, odd mutual aid, solidarity, faith community that is slowly coming to fruition in a million different ways uh, beyond that I could ever imagined um and so yeah that's who i am i'm also a spiritual director i am a game designer um i have a little i had a little company called paradox press games um this last year uh released a bunch of uh tabletop rpgs of various lengths and styles and genres uh but it's currently in the process of becoming a worker-owned co-op uh one of the things i found out in the last year is that i don't like to do anything alone so uh, and I also don't like to be a boss. Uh, so uh, just uh, along with that. So there's uh, those things are evolving and changing. So other than that, uh, you know, just like a good uh, white Christian Twitter dude. I am a uh, father, a husband <laughs> and uh, you know, a pastor <laughs> of some sort. All right. Well, um, that sounds pretty good. That's a good way to start off. Man, if people, we'll, we'll talk about the RPG element more later, but it's just now I'm having sort of like a like a like a flashback of I don't know. Maybe it was around Christmas when you put out a a tabletop role playing game that was about like the flight to Egypt where you where you get to role play as Jesus's family. Is that is that? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the first game I released uh, was. Uh, it was technically epiphany of 2021 right after Christmas. Cause of course uh, it was, it was called Herod's horde and you had to either. Oh, that's right. That's right. It, it kind of had a, for those of you that are tabletop RPG nerds, it kind of had a very power by the apocalypse vibe to it, but you either got to play as Mary Joseph or the donkey. Uh, and you all had <laughs> every, each character had particular abilities um, but you had you were basically trying to defeat and run away from Herod's horde, which was essentially the three wise men who had been turned into un- undead zombie liches, essentially <laughs> by Herod. 
so quite the sacrilegious spin on the uh, <laughs> the birth narratives and uh, the infancy narratives of Jesus, but uh, it was a fun game to come up with for sure. Yeah, definitely. I remember I was telling my uh, I have a, a group of friends I play um, role playing games with. And I was telling them about it, and uh, they aren't church people, so they did not immediately understand why this is so funny. <laughs> but um, but it was cool. Uh, well, okay, we'll talk about it more in a minute. Um, if I can contain myself. But uh, last time we did talk, uh, you introduced everyone to a really neat project that you've been working on for, I don't know, the last while, called Jubilee House. Uh, Jubilee House is, uh, I don't know, your mutual aid organization, your ministry. I don't know. I don't know the right way to talk about it. But uh, you you run it down there in Alabama where you live, and that's really cool. There have been a lot of really neat developments about it, though, and I want to ask you a lot of things about it. Um, But Maybe for people who are, I guess, uninitiated, do you want to give a, a kind of a broad overview of, of Jubilee House? If you had to paint a map of what it is, maybe you could lay it all out for us. There's a lot of moving parts, I feel. Yeah, yeah, there there is absolutely a lot of different moving parts. Um, and depending on who I'm talking to, I describe it differently because it's uh, the way I would define certain terms, I guess, is probably not the way that some people would. Uh, but to me, it's church. Uh, it's a ministry. It's It's, like you said, it's a mutual aid organization. Um, it is essentially a, a, a ministry that is at trying our best to be anti-capitalist and anti-racist, uh, and doing that kind of mutual aid and solidarity work here, specifically in the backwoods of Alabama. And that takes a, a lot of different forms. Uh, as you said, there's a lot of moving parts. So just broadly, it's, it's a community. Um, well, it's, it's, a, it's really a dream about imagining what uh, a different way of life can be here in the South. Um, and the kind of tagline we always use is like we're trying to cultivate a community of imagination and resistance. So we're trying to help people imagine new worlds and different worlds and different possibilities. Um, and then working to help people not only just imagine those things, but practically be able to live into it, to incarnate it, to uh, resist the powers that be and resist the systems that are around us and uh, the dreams and the narratives that keep getting pushed on us in the world that we currently live in. So, um, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but uh, you could call it a ministry, you could call it a mutual aid organization, uh, you could call it a church. Uh, it's got a lot of forms and a lot of different parts that various people partake in, and then certain people, you know, uh, kind of a, a buffet of various things that people can participate in, so to speak. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, is it, I, let's see, I'm I'm just like watching it all from online, so I probably don't have like the best vantage about what's going on. But you have like a community fridge. You have, um, I mean, you, you just got like a bunch of like land that you're doing something yeah. with too. Can you can you maybe talk through some of the specifics about what some of that looks like? Yeah, yeah. So we have like a a community fridge that we helped kind of organize. Um, it was initially called like the People's Free Fridge Program, which was like really long and cumbersome. And so we just kind of recently rebranded it to just being the people's pantry. Uh, and there's probably a dozen or more other things across the country called the people's pantry. Um, but it just flowed better for here. Uh, in, in, in trying to talk and communicate to people, you know, people were so confused the thing we were giving away free refrigerators, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so we have this food pantry that's like 24 seven access. You know, if you've, if you have any familiarity with like free fridges or free pantries, it's 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 a pretty uh, normal concept. But uh, we we were able to build this um, 
housing for a fridge and a pantry uh, and partner with the city to be able to put it outside of like the town hall to have like free electrical use and those kind of things. Um, outside of that, um, we, like you said, we got, we had this land stuff and I'll, I'll touch on that more, I'm sure later in the episode, but um, the other, one of the other things we do that is on the more churchy spiritual side is that being a trained spiritual director and being in the South is that um, religion and faith and Christianity specifically <laughs> has done so much damage here, especially to LGBTQ plus folks. Um, and so we offer spiritual, spiritual direction uh, for people uh, that maybe don't feel, maybe they are in church somewhere, or maybe they don't feel safe in church or they need a space to process and work through some of those things um, in kind of just a safe affirming environment uh, that isn't their typical faith community. And so we offer like free pro bono, like spiritual direction to young adults and, and youth uh, and with the emphasis on the LGBTQ plus folks because of the area that we're in. There's one affirming church in my whole county. So it's just, uh, you know, outside of the work we do. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Uh, we we don't call them ministries. Uh, we call them initiatives. Uh, often we'll say like projects. And so like uh, we have the pantry, uh, spiritual direction. Uh, we organize uh, Walker County Mutual Aid, which is just a uh, a loose mutual aid network that's still learning to get its feet under underneath it. Um, this past Saturday, we had our first iteration of the Walker County Free Store, which if you know anything about free stores, it's essentially the pantry dynamic just on a different scale with different kind of things. So we had like toys and clothes and house goods and appliances and all the, and diapers and all the things. Um, and so it was kind of a pop-up and we'll do those monthly. Um, and then we have like, future initiatives around like debt forgiveness and uh, gathering for worship, even um, for those that are interested in that aspect of the community. Uh, the big thing we're kind of working on now and getting all worked out is, like you said, the land that we were given. Um, we have this project uh, for a land we were given. We partnered with the city to get land in a building that had been basically abandoned for uh, decades uh, to some degree or another. And um, on the land, it's nearly two and a half acres. We are going to start a community farm called Reclamation Gardens. And then the building we're going to renovate and repurpose. That'll eventually be the home of the free store, a community library, uh, like a tool library. Being here in the South, people, there's all the times people have like problems and things they need to fix, but they don't have the, the means uh, to, to pay someone and they don't even have the equipment necessary. So like just a bunch of different other, what we would consider mutual aid programs kind of coming out of that. Uh, that will be kind of hosted in that building. So I guess that's probably the broad view. We, uh, we're just trying to feed folks and bring folks together and uh, offer opportunities for that deeper connection and um, just to help folks uh, love their neighbor and learn what it means to take care of one another because something we just routinely talk about is just like no one is coming to the backwoods of Alabama to save us. <laughs> you know, no elephants are coming to save us. No donkeys are coming to save us. No one, no churches even, not... This is so much bigger than even Jubilee House um, or any given church or nonprofit or any of those things. And so we really try to cultivate um, or we're trying to cultivate a community that even exists beyond like what we would understand as Jubilee House, because um, we don't want to own anything and we don't want it to be ours. Um, it, it needs to be come from the people and be for the people. So. That's so cool to hear you talk about all these different kind of, uh, I guess, uh, different moving parts <laughs> that we're that we're identifying that kind of feed into all this. And we'll kind of break them down, I guess, a little bit more directly as we go. 
But one thing I'd like to hear you talk about, maybe as we set the stage for maybe getting into the nuts and bolts of that, is some of the the theological impulses behind it. You know, one thing that you do a lot, for instance, on social media is is kind of weave together a handful of quotes from all kinds of interesting folks, like whether it's James Cohn or Gustavo Gutierrez, right? These kind of liberation theology folks, um, and, but a number of others as well. Like, could you speak to maybe that side of it? Like, I think uh, there's something really fascinating to me about the the theological imagination and even your decision to say it's a community of imagination and resistance, right? There's this kind of spiritual thread underneath it. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit more about that? Like what what's important about the spiritual side of it for you and what are some of the kind of, um, you know, tributaries feeding into that <laughs> that river of theology that's maybe uh, carrying you guys along? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, for me, like I said, like I, I consider this church, right? Uh, it is absolutely church in my mind. And uh, if you've hung around Twitter at all, I don't know you guys have because we're, we're mutuals, but like I'm not not very much a fan of most of the institutional iter- iterations or, or the ways in which, you know, we've kind of built things and uh, the focus and the places we've put our, our emphasis and, you know, something Jubilee House is really rooted in what I feel like is my own personal call in life. And um, I've been working in churches for the better half of 13 years. And um, it took me a long time to get to this place to being realizing that, like, I don't feel like personally the Holy Spirit's called me to kind of try to salvage these institutions. And so I feel like for years I've just been having this call into imagining what church could look like uh, if it's for the people. And if it's really for the people and it really struggles uh, alongside the people. Um, and so that's kind of where Jubilee House kind of this dream has been just a seed inside of me for so long. Um, but, you know, I, I would say like those theological underpinnings are absolutely there. Like we, whether it be liberation theology, which is obviously a, a major topic here on the Magnificast uh, and just largely like anti-imperial theology and anti-racist theology and just prophetic theology. Um, I would say like if I had like one quote to kind of like just really sum up the core of like what we're doing is from Gustavo Gutierrez, where he says every attempt to evade the struggle against alienation and the violence of the powerful and for a more and just and more human world is the greatest infidelity to God. To know God is to work for justice. There's no other path to reach God. And I don't remember when I encountered that quote for the first time. I've been reading Gutierrez for a while now. Um, but when I read it, it just shook me. Um, and it spoke something uh, to me that uh, I don't think I'd ever heard in a pulpit before. Um, and that this work to know God and to, to reach God comes through this work and struggle for justice. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's it's so bound up in that. There's no separation for me. Uh, I know like it's, it's interesting to me to think about like in a lot of left spaces that are like very much post-religion in a lot of ways. Um, uh, and probably rightly so, <laughs> especially when it comes to Christianity. Uh, but for me, I feel like I'm building on a tradition. I'm inheriting a tradition in one way or another. Uh, and so I'm trying to sift through. And here at Jubilee, we're trying to sift through this tradition that we call Christianity and church and and see what's good. And um, to use like another <laughs> idiom, you know, we're, we're learning collectively together to chew the meat and spit out the bones um, and figure out what what's worth saving and what's worth holding on to and, and what needs to be gotten rid of. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's absolutely inseparable from that. I, I can't imagine doing this work. I, and there's people who do, right. There's people who are 
do mutual aid and solidarity work who are atheists or not Christian or don't could not care. Um, but for me, this is deeply connected to the way that I understand my faith, the way that I understand what it means to follow Jesus uh, and to live and embody the kingdom of God. Um, and so that's at the core of what Jubilee is. Um, so, yeah, I'm I, now that I'm, I've been going, I'm not sure I've actually answered your question or not. Uh, but, you know, whether it be we're very much like, you know, scripture still plays like a huge part of my life and and this faith and my practice uh, is so caught up in this. You know, I was just talking to somebody uh, yesterday about how like the what feels like the most prayerful to me in this season of life is working, working the land is it's out picking blackberries every morning and in our little garden. It's it's um, being able to partake and and get my hands in the soil and help uh, hopefully create something new uh, together with the spirit. And so uh, for me personally, it's, that's what it is. There's no separation. And it's really like here, what for Jubilee house, we have like a very spacious theology is what we would say, but we're very like specific on like our values, you know, Um, uh, those values and practices are what we really help or try to help kind of form us and identify who we are. So there's like a lot of room for this, theology to be varied um no matter where somebody's at kind of in their their journey on those things but um it definitely undergo undergirds everything about it uh, the work we do Uh, because for me and for jubilee we really believe that you know any theology or belief that's not incarnated isn't real and so if we believe these things if we have these beliefs and ideas in this theology then it has to come out in the way we live and the way we do things and so we hope uh, that Jubilee is that, that it is, that it is a, a, a coming into fruition of the things that we say we, we really believe and hold true, hold to be true. It's so cool to hear you talk about that. And um, I mean, just how the theology is really connected to, I think, what you're doing sort of on the ground. I think that's really neat. Well, you, you mentioned the land a minute ago, and, and I'm, I'm so interested in how all this went down. Um, I remember on Twitter, you mentioned, you know, I, I don't know, one day. <laughs> That you were you were gonna kind of pitch something to the local city council about kind of getting getting land for a big farm project, and man, what a wild idea! Um, you know, I think when a lot of people think about the the left and like people involved in it in the United States, you know, it's always sort of like an urban uh, an urban um, idea comes to mind. People in the lofts of New York or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, unable to to you know. Um, there's no, there's no land. <laughs> there's no land. It's people, people in cramped apartments. But uh, here you are, uh, and you, you've got it figured out um, uh, with this big, with this big project. So how, how did you figure this out? How did you convince the local city council to support you? And how, I, whether it's um, putting a fridge by city hall and letting you use electricity, or like, how, or um, getting them to give you this big piece of land to do something with. How did you figure this out in your community? What did that look like? Right. Yeah. You know, I would say broadly in ministry and just as much in my life as possible, I really lean into the answer is always no, if you never ask. Like the worst that can happen is that someone says no. uh, And then you just have to figure something else out. And um, that's why I was related to this is like talking about, you know, people I've had a lot of people like really say some like and and y'all have been some of those people that just said really like encouraging and complimentary things to uh, just really like nice compliments and things about what we're doing. And, uh, but we're really like, it's, it's a day, day to day thing, you know, and most of it is just that we've, we've 
we put the hand, our hands to the plow and that's like, we're going to figure it out and whatever comes, comes and what falls apart, falls apart. And which is also kind of really baked into kind of how we see things. Like some things are not going to work out. That's just how it goes. Like it's a, it's a, an experiment. Right. Um, but you know, as far as like all the, the actual like nuts and bolts of it is whether it be from the fridge or, or the farm, I just worked up a really a, a proposal. Um, um, when I did the, I just pitched it at a town town hall uh, meeting and for the fridge. And, you know, basically the city was like, yeah, we're in, people need to eat. Um, so long as like, we're not really having to incur a lot of cost or whatever, which was, you know, 50 bucks a year, probably at max to run the refrigerator off their electricity. Um, so, and they've just let me do the, they've just let us do these things. Um, and then, so like really, so we're coming up on a year of the fridge in August. And so after letting that like be its own thing and, and grow and, and the town council be in frequently just coming in and like reporting how things have been going with it and the kind of response we've gotten, we try to build some of those relationships. Luckily, you know, being in a small town, uh, this is the place I grew up. So everyone that's on the town council, I know, like there's council, there's council, uh, councilmen that I like literally like went to school with. There's councilmen that coached me in baseball as a youth. There's uh, council women who are the moms of kids I went to school with. And so like, um, there's already some like relational capital there uh, that is very helpful um, that I think kind of to doing this work, especially like in your own context. And I think that's what is really important about this is like so often the church is trying, you're trying, we're trying to go and plant and do things in other places. And it's really just an extension of colonialism, no matter how you want to frame it, how you want to shape it, it is that. Um, and so, but if we go to our people, our places, the, our own communities, um, I think we would have so much more success uh, than we could ever imagine. And I feel like I'm seeing that and the other folks involved in Jubilee House are seeing that. And so with the farm, this land was an old football field. It was the football field for the high school back in the 50s and 60s. And then it kind of became practice fields when they built a new school. And my entire life, it's just been used to kind of randomly be practiced on or whatever. Um, the the medical clinic, it was a medical clinic for, it was my pediatricians uh, when I was a, an infant. And then it became like a local rural medical clinic uh, and then eventually they built a new building and then it just kind of got passed around and eventually just handed back over to the city. Um, and so these are places that have just been like sitting there. And uh, for us, I was just like, you know what, like these are things like that are like kind of visions and dreams, things we're going to try. And so I just made up a big proposal. Essentially, I just wrote a proposal just like saying, hey, these are our goals. This is what we want to do. This is what we need. And it was very like practical. And I handed it to them and then I got to pitch it to them. And uh, thankfully, because of the fridge and, and all the other conversations that have been happening over, over the last year, um, I'm like halfway through the proposal and a councilwoman says like, can I interrupt you? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And she's just like, I just need you to know I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm in. Uh, she was like, you don't have to, you don't have to convince me anymore. And uh, which was just huge, you know, um, for us. And so like that, it's really just about asking and organizing and, and being able to realize like see a need and, collectively in your community, like people speak to that need and figure out the ways that you can meet it collectively together, I think. And that's what's, that's what's worked for us as far as this kind of work of um, everyone we talk to is stoked. 
like, you know, um, most of them would not be stoked if we got into the nitty gritty of my politics or my theology. But uh, my neighbors, like, they're like, wait, we're going to, you're like, I will come till land. I'll come bring this. I'll, you know, and um, so it's just been really good in that way. Um, but as far as like how it come to fruition, it, it, it was really just saying, hey, we want to do this. And this is this is the plan and going in with it with a plan and kind of a projection of like the next five years of what we want to do uh, was like a huge success. And so I think anybody who's trying to do this kind of work in any kind of capacity and you're trying to partner and build kind of dual power with systems that may already be in place, like your municipalities and town councils or whatever uh, you have where you live, um, you just got to go in uh, being able to really articulate what you want and um, just make some kind of compelling case for why this is important, you know, why your project or whatever you're trying to do is important for your community. I think like that's kind of what's so interesting to me about it is that, I mean, um, for you, there's sort of like a, there's a theological background to it and there's definitely a political background to it. But like when it comes down to, you know, pitching this, this is just like, this is something our community needs, right? <laughs> is, is, is maybe part of it, right? People need to eat with the fridge. People need, um, I, I don't know, like you can grow crops or, or whatever, right? There's sort of um, that piece of it. I guess it's just like so interesting that, um, uh, you know, it's it's such a practical thing that has extremely interesting political sort of ideological backgrounds, but 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 the ideology of it is like not very important. I guess that that seems so, uh, so wild to me. Yeah, no, and that, that's something that I think is, is really, really a, a big problem. Uh, broadly on the left, I would say, at least in my experience of like working alongside other left organizations or left adjacent organizations, is that there is this, um, I don't know, it seems like there's this need for ideological purity um, for people to be involved or whatever. And the thing is, is that the majority of my neighbors are not going to become communists. Um, the majority of my neighbors may not even become Democrats. Uh, there's a work we're doing or trying to do, but if like we can bring them, help them be able to imagine and cultivate that space for them to see some, something differently that could lead towards liberation of someone else in our community and, and collective liberation, then like that's worth it. Um, we, I, I feel like at least that there's this broad need in this kind of work to feel like everybody's got to get to a certain ideological place. That's just not, it's not practical. It's not realistic. Uh, and I'm not a very realistic person. Most people will tell you I'm, I am utopian and uh, just, you know, I'm going to believe in the most ridiculous, absurd thing. Uh, I mean, I'm a Christian after all. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe that's clear. I don't know. But, um, you know, when it comes to it, it's like, I, I would say though, that like in our presentation and stuff, like I, I'm dealing with you know, the backwoods of Alabama, these are, are Christian folk and to some, they're Christ haunted, like, you know, whether it, it is a cultural thing, no matter what. And so one of the important things is being able to talk, speak the language of the people around me. Um, and of course I, I can, because I'm from here. And, and I mean that in the sense of like, you know, like at the free store, even, you know, I got to talk about people were just so bewildered. People came up there like, what do you mean this is free? I just, they could not wrap their heads around it. And so I started talking about grace, you know, I started talking about Jesus saying freely we receive, so freely we must give. And for me, that is a, a real theological underpinning to it. Uh, but it is also, for me, it is very much a political thing, too. But if I would have started talking to them about anarchism and communism and all these things, it would have completely, like, shut it down, right? 
And so you got to be able to meet folks where they are. Um, and part of it is, I think, not necessarily converting them to your cause, uh, but being able to effectively de-evangelize them in the sense of like, um, from where they're, they have these hard stances or these ideal ideologies that are ultimately harmful to the community, being able to hopefully loosen up that dirt some so that, that maybe something else can come, come to fruition from that, from those fruitful conversations and being able to really have that relational aspect to it. Um, I will say that's probably a huge privilege for me here because most of these people know me. And so like when they find out something, I guess, about more of my radical beliefs, because I don't hide those things, um, they're just like, oh, that's just Ryan, you know, but he wants to feed people. So let's help him, you know, or let's, <laughs> let's be a part of it, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting how that works. And I always talk about how the, the South is really, I believe, uh, fertile soil uh, for mutual aid work. Uh, I, I believe that with every fiber of my body. Um, but the, the ideological purity tests and those things um, hinder it so much. And so, like, if I can get someone to be, like, <laughs> to care about their neighbor just a little more than they did, you know, or to realize, like, hey, this thing that they said or did was is perpetuating racism and make them second guess that or help them come to people in our community, whether it be across, you know, racial divides or social divides who are, who are, who are divided, come together and find like to have some common ground, um, then it can be generative for other things. And so, yeah, I think uh, on one end, it's very much spiritual. It's very much deeply theological and political for us at Jubilee House. But it's also like knowing like if we're going to get some of these things happening, it, it's not about deceit, but it's about learning to navigate those things and speak the language of the people around us. Still being honest. I mean, like if you go to our website, like on the front page, it says, you know, uh, at the bottom, like we fully affirm all LGBTQ plus folks and our, our top value is anti-capitalist. Uh, if you go to like the, the about section of our, our website and that's already like generated some stuff and it's like we see it as like causing some kind of weird internal contradiction a lot of the times and the people who are getting to know the work we're doing because they're like, wait, you're Christians, but also you, you know, you're, you don't hate gay people, but also you talk about, <laughs> about anti-capitalism and anti-racism. And it, it's like, there's a disconnect in that contradiction that exists a lot of the times, but um, because of the relational capital and the ability to kind of navigate those conversations for the most part, it seems like we're able to overcome that. Um, and people still, whether they be confused about where we stand on things or bewildered about it or willing to like come alongside of us and be pulled into this work in some fashion. Yeah, I think that's really a powerful example, though, of uh, the poverty of thought around uh, leftist organizing or politics generally in the United States. Right. Like, um I mean, like on Twitter, for sure, it's this way. But I feel like I even see it in like um, maybe more local situations to me where if you, you know, if you want to be involved in DSA or in some kind of other social organization, right, it's it's about having a conversation about the books you've read. And I think what your example is kind of giving us, though, is is that like if you really want to do political work, you're going to have to talk to people who like don't think like you. And like, that's maybe your pro like the audience that you're trying to reach the most, right? You don't need to convert the people who are already converted. Um, it's great that you can have a book club and that's cool. But like, you know, when it comes down to doing political work, it's, it's about talking to people who, who don't see things the same way as you and, and, uh, 
I like the I like the uh, metaphor of loosening up the dirt. I think that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, a, a cool a cool lesson to take. From yeah, that. even to kind of build on that a little bit too. What I like about what you're saying, Ryan, is you know there's another way of of kind of making this criticism of the left, which is kind of popular today. I mean, there's a right wing way of doing it, right? Of being like, oh, the left, they don't know how to talk to normal people or whatever. Um, but there's a kind of more subtle way of kind of creating this conversation in a weird way where sometimes people appear to appeal to almost like, you know, a sort of Wendell Berry localism that it's like if we all go off and kind of do our own like farming thing <laughs> off away from everywhere else, we'll we'll kind of keep ourselves pure. And uh, and, no, you know, no shade to Wendell Berry. I, I like him. He's a good, a good poet good guy i'm sure i guess i hope <laughs> but uh what, what you're what you're describing seems to be like something more complicated than that you know it's like we need to, we need to talk to other people uh, but we also need to need to do it in a way that is like consciousness raising in this kind of subtle way right like um not instrumentalizing others but really helping others understand that like what does it mean to be in it together like it means breaking down those barriers between uh, you know, uh, racist sort of communities in the South or between homophobia in the South or whatever. And I think there's something really compelling about that. Like, it's a challenge to the left. It's also a challenge to kind of more romantic notions of like, you know, a bit maybe like humanity's dropout culture <laughs> is kind of the way to put it. Um, and I think there's something really, really compelling about that. Like, it's a, a way of really, really investing in a local community um, that also takes on board all these complexities that uh, I find are, are also sort of lost in a lot of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's something that is just like all of this is just like so important, you know, and it's like um, being able to like communicate with people and not use like things, you know, like because things have been so polarized. Right. Like, absolutely. Like there's there's things I in. Sorry, let me back up here just a just a second. Like things have become so polarized. Like certain language, uh, people don't understand. Like I, I, you couldn't ask anyone on my street what a socialist was, and they give you a proper definition of what socialism is. Not one, right? Because they've all they've been handed a particular definition. And so when we're talking about feeding people and how we should be taking care of people and how you know like all these things should be in place for us to take care of one another and for people not to struggle this way you can have those conversations and you can have like someone on your in your community who could be as right wing as right wing could be and they're they're agreeing with you right but if you were to say socialism they would immediately like switch off right and so you have to like have that conversation and pull them in on their own terms and on their and their with their own language and then you once those like relationships are built then you can start like oh you well this is really like Mark, you know, we can we can start interjecting some other things, you know, to kind of help broaden maybe the perspective and flesh out those ideas in a way that is politically like has some substance to it or even theologically has some substance to it. Um, you know, it's like I think about uh, there's people I'm sure who come and put food in that fridge who are like vehemently racist people, you know what I mean? Or like people who like or not, not in the sense of like just over like over right wing whatever but like they're just like they were they're older or they were raised in a particular generation and they like they have very prejudiced ideas about black folks or other people of color um but they're like unrelentingly going to come put food in that fridge because they know people in our community need it and so like do i tell that older person like no you can't put food in our fridge because like you said something that was you know or you, you might have an idea that is not correct no, it's like, okay, come bring the food in the fridge. I'll come help you. Let's talk. And then and then when you get down and you start having the, that relationship built, then you can have those conversations. And be like, you know, like this, 
this perspective here is not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not healthy and it's, it can be harmful to other people in our community. Um, because like as humans, right, we're full of contradictions. We are full of them. Uh, and we, we, all of us are. And, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, and no, no shade of Wendell Berry. I love Wendell Berry. I do think, unfortunately he laid, uh, so much of the groundwork for the Benedict option and all of that nonsense, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's definitely uh, not about retreating. It's not about, you know, we're not trying to pull in and just me, my four and no more. Um, it is very much so in, in something you said about conscious consciousness raising, you know, um, uh, Paulo Freire, you know, like his work is about uh, helping people become more human, right. You know, in his method of pedagogy and, uh, raising their consciousness and raise, raising their um, you know, ability to see themselves as like a really a part and uh, as having ownership and, and a part to play in everything. And so um, I definitely think that's that's right there, a part of it, too. Um, we can get people to see like the bigger picture, but like locally it's happening here. Like, you know, I know there's people who do the work of like being like let you know like they're advocating for laws and all those things and uh i would love to say that i that i had energy for that but i just don't um and so in some sense yes i'm locally working working and focusing on where i'm at uh but it's because the the wheels of change on the on the governmental side of things they, they move too slow for my community like my community is literally dying from an opioid epidemic and literally dying of starvation and lack of running water you know, and so like we don't have time to worry about the laws right now if we can just get people fed and get people taken care of. And then all the other things can, uh, you know, just they can come to fruition as we we get some things taken care of, you know. Um, but it's definitely not a retreat. It is hopefully a full fledged uh, resistance to to the things around us that are killing us and um, causing, you know, the degradation of life and destruction of life um, in my community. Yeah, that's so neat. Uh, well, we're talking a lot about these mutual aid things, material things. Let's maybe pivot a little bit and talk about the other piece of this, which is that spiritual side, the spiritual direction side. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about this last time you were on, but I feel like I remember talking to Matt afterwards and being like, man, I wanted to hear more about that. So now's our chance. Uh, spiritual direction. It's something that has been going around a lot. I've never done it myself, but I've thought about it often. Maybe you can tell us about it. Uh, what is spiritual direction and how does it also play into that work as an extension of what's going on uh, with uh, Jubilee House? Right. Yeah. You know, spiritual direction is kind of exists in kind of a, a weird liminal space, you know, because it, it's interreligious or even, I guess, non-religious in some aspects. Um, it's not connected uh, usually. I mean, I say it's not usually connected. We spiritual direction goes back to like, you know, the desert fathers, as far as like our, our, our Christian history, you know, of like people coming to the to the desert fathers and the monastics and coming to the monks and the monasteries even and like you know receiving direction and and kind of being mentored and discipled in some way uh it's evolved in in a lot of good ways out of that um that uh so spiritual direction is essentially it's it gets to be a space you know uh for someone to have a supportive structure in their life um that allows them to explore their spirituality and beliefs and ideas uh, and navigate those life circumstances and discernment and all those things, you know, uh, there's oftentimes things we can't wrestle with other, we can't like deal with these ideas or beliefs with people in our faith communities. And so, or whether we have them or not. Um, and so it can be difficult to wrestle with those doubts and questions and, 
and navigate those spaces. And so spiritual direction, direction really is just this, it's a space that allows for that, um, that hopefully cultivates a safe place for people to explore maybe new ideas or ideas about themselves. Um, the goal essentially is it for it to facilitate that self-discovery and that discover, deeper connection with the divine and deeper connection with themselves. Um, and so that really plays into um, Jubilee House in the sense that coming in back to Alabama and back into Walker County specifically, we knew just because like we slapped a rainbow sticker on something or we talked about, you know, people in leadership being LGBTQ plus or whatever, like that wouldn't, that does not automatically translate to gay and lesbian trans folks feeling safe around you or in your community. Uh, I wish the main, I wish mainline Christianity would realize that, <laughs> that just because you say you're affirming doesn't mean anything. Um, but, you know, so one of the things we were dreaming of when we came back, is like, so how can we offer support to folks who are going to immediately be skeptical of the church or ministry or those things, or maybe don't ha doesn't have a safe place to do that. Uh, and maybe it's, you know, because their their sexual or gender identity and expression, or maybe it's just because, you know, we live in the backwoods of Alabama. And if they were to utter a word about a different theological perspective in their faith community, uh, they would be ostracized and, you know, all those things. And so, Spiritual direction is really just gets to be a neutral ground for those folks, hopefully. Um, that's our goal anyway, is for it to be that. Um, and we have several directees. Um, we have so a lot of our donations come in to just kind of pay for that. Cause like I have my own spiritual direction practice um, that I that I do on my own. I'm a trained spiritual director. Um, and but for Jubilee House, it's just specifically like for this work and it's pro bono. Um, and people kind of like cover the costs and stuff of if there's something that comes up. But, you know, ultimately it's just that the South is complicated when it comes to faith and religion. Um, and of course, like what we would consider gets, what gets passed off as like genuinely Christian or healthy religion or spirituality is like the, like everywhere is the exact opposite of those things. Uh, and so spiritual direction just really is a thing, is an initiative for us to be able to hopefully provide space for folks or like uh, to like just explore uh, faith, explore doubts and beliefs, explore their own sense of God and the divine and their life circumstances, their religious baggage, uh, all of those things, you know. Um, I often say like spiritual direction is just really about becoming more aware of our connection to the good, the true and the beautiful. Um, and so it's very important work that we do because like right now we're not meeting for worship or anything. Um, we are eventually going to start um, a dinner church kind of gathering that's going to be on Jubilee House, essentially. Um, that's about cultivating deeper community together on on the more spiritual side of things. Uh, but the spiritual direction, as of right now, just gets to be that um, gets to be a space for people who might not be interested in necessarily participating in spiritual community with us to be able to have a place to to explore that for themselves and process those things and. And find out maybe that there's better theology and and uh, a better way and a, a better spirituality that isn't um, isn't uh, being restricted by the typical theological um, formulations of the the culture we we find ourselves in here in the backwoods of Alabama. That's such a cool thing, Ryan. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to your uh, future $500 deconstruction course online. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. Oh God! You can, you can branch no. out. 
I know you. I know you're doing some of that work pro bono, and that's really cool of you. But you got to cash in on this this whole thing. I think. No, no I'm just. You know, that's so. Just a. I know you're joking right now, but one of like my my favorite 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 things about doing this ministry with Jubilee House is that I don't have a paycheck caught up in it. Like I don't. Um, and that's so liberating for me. I've, like I said, I've been working for churches for like 13 years, and it gets really complicated when you're wanting to do liberative work especially for an institution uh, who um, is also like you have to be dependent on to be able to pay your bills. Right. Uh, And so like all of my, all of my income is sourced elsewhere. And that's one of the, also the beautiful things about Jubilee house. Cause like all the money that comes into Jubilee house goes straight into the community. Like it goes straight into these initiatives and these projects. We don't have salaries to pay for or any of those things. Um, And, and, and the pro bono side of like the spiritual direction is in the sense of like, what I mean by that, it allows us to sponsor people who maybe not like want to work with me for spiritual direction, but want to work with somebody else. And like, I'm not going to ask somebody who's a spiritual director, who's like not a part of Jubilee house really to be like, like, Hey, you should do this for free for this person. Uh, uh, Cause they don't want to work with me. And so like, we're able to like pay that spiritual director um, their, their cost for, for someone to go through spiritual direction with them. So it's also kind of a sponsorish thing. And that's really what I was trying to get out of the whole pro bono stuff um, is that essentially we get sponsorships in some way for it, uh, for people uh, to be able to be with someone uh, in spiritual direction that's going to be like fruitful for them because like uh, not everyone's going to like being in spiritual direction with me. <laughs> I'm not going to be the best fit for everyone. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's one of the really other cool things about the donations that come in specifically for that, um, that we really love to get to be a part of, uh, make happen. That's so interesting, too, just to hear about, I guess, uh, how all the the financial side plays into all this. And I guess I'll have to have you back for a, a third episode in a year and we'll talk more about it. Um, but drilling in maybe a little bit more to spiritual direction, you know, one interesting tool that you use is uh, role playing games, as Matt was talking about at the top of the episode here. And you've made a handful of them yourself. Um, what do you think is unique about role-playing games? Like, why, why uh, bring that into it? Um, do they? Do you find they like engage people in a particular way? Like, what is it about? Maybe even that that is not just like a silly thing to kind of tack on as a gimmick, but like you know, it seems like you've uh, you've kind of made the case anyway uh, online and elsewhere that it's a, a, a really useful kind of tool in spiritual direction. So maybe you can walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. So like, you know, in my own spiritual direction kind of, uh, practice we use, or I have an offering of like where we use tabletop role-playing games. Um, and so essentially this all started a few years ago. It was like when I was going through spiritual direction, like I am a lifelong youth worker. So like using games as a part of like community formation has been like always in my wheelhouse. It's been something like, you know, as a youth pastor, uh, something I could I could probably be a youth pastor for the rest of my life and die happy. But um, I promised myself I would be out of that world by the time my kids were old enough to be in youth. So I'm not on that track anymore. But uh, so like I just remember like using games and in those places of exploration, even uh, of like spiritual truth and questioning and doubts and stuff. Uh, and so I started like, as far as like, I, you know, I've been designing games and I just keep thinking about the ways in which um, games can help facilitate a space for people to try on new ideas or beliefs or um, realities even. And it's really interesting because 
I searched high and low for someone doing this kind of work because I was like, there is no way this is a original thought to me. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fairly smart guy, but I'm not like that smart. Um, and I found one other person, a rabbi in Chicago, uh, who's become a dear friend, uh, Rabbi Menachem Cohen, doing this work. He's working in like a youth shelter, and he is using role-playing games with uh, teenagers that are living in these shelters to kind of help spiritual discovery and self-discovery. And so we've been like in ongoing conversations ever since then. Uh, so like just to give you like a little bit of the groundwork behind it of like how we've gotten here. And it's been great because over the last year, I've gotten to speak at multiple conferences, whether it be at game design conferences about the use of spirituality in game for games or games and spirituality, which is like a really like uh, a strange reaction for some folks, especially folks who kind of grew up with like Dungeons and Dragons and the Satanic Panic. Uh, and but then even like most recently, I got to speak at um, a conference that was about gaming and like therapy and counseling. And they had like a, we pitched an idea for like talking about spirituality and the usefulness in those settings. And so got to speak and present there, which was really cool. Um, but, you know, essentially spiritual discovery through role-playing games, I would just like, when I talk to people about it and I explain to them, I just say, you know, like in the same way, like we pray or meditate or do yoga, we, we participate in like church liturgies or church worship. Um, all of those things like help us connect more deeply with ourselves and our community and God. Um, so these practices that we do, these religious practices, um, they help us like slow down and reflect on the circumstances of our lives and help center us and sometimes decenter ourselves as we're navigating all the things in life around us. Uh, and that's what they're designed to do is to kind of help us on our journeys of exploration. Or at least I think when they're when they're at their best, at least they help facilitate that. And so, you know, through those practices, you know, we can gain clarity, we can uh, learn to let go of things we've been holding on to. We can find out more about ourselves. Um, and so it's just all those things should be for, should be to those ends, at least in my mind. Um, and so in the same way, uh, games help facilitate that. Uh, a common metaphor we use is uh, the magic circle. It's so like when you enter into like, you know, a church service, it's like not, if, you know, you're entering into the space where kind of like, the usual rules of reality are suspended, right? If it, the liturgy, you're, it is this. This is the liturgy. You're caught up in this, you know, cosmic story at church, especially if you're like in a more heavily liturgical church. And the the typical realities of the world are suspended. In this moment, this is what is, you know. Um, and so role-playing games can help facilitate that same kind of space. Um, they can help us um, be able to, like explore new worlds. We can try on new beliefs and ideas and face challenges and overcome things, you know, learn to solve problems, explore deep truths about ourselves. Um, I often tell people, and people seem so surprised about this, but like the two most formative places for me in my youth were my Pentecostal youth group and my Dungeons and Dragons group. So like, that's like, for me, like this work is really rooted in my direct experience of using these games in this way, because like I was... When I came to faith, I was, you know, I was just bewildered that we didn't like believe in evolution. I was, I was bewildered at like all these like weird evangelical Pentecostal beliefs that I just could not necessarily buy fully into, uh, but I couldn't really talk about them. And I really couldn't explore like my doubts and things like at church. And so I got to do that in Dungeons and Dragons. I remember one of my first characters that I played in Dungeons and Dragons as a middle schooler 
with someone who's like an anti-theist, but like in a very literal way in Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 in the sense like he wanted to see all of the gods die because he thought, you know, they were essentially useless. You know, this is like a, my Gore the God Butcher from Marvel story D&D arc, you know, um, uh, coming. Sorry, that was a whole other nerdy connection. <laughs> Thor, Love and Thunder, Christian Bale, it's going to be a whole thing. Um but like I got to explore like doubt and and wrestling with theodicy, even as a middle schooler in through D and D, right? Uh, and so I I just really feel like games help like facilitate that. Um, they help facilitate the a space for people to explore things, um, explore uh, even sexuality or gender gender expression or just their self identity and their connection to the divine and God and and discernment in life, you know. Um, because you can be anything you want. You can come to the table and you can try on anybody's clothes or anybody's life, anybody's world. Um, and you can imagine new worlds. Um, that was like at the, I was recently on the Tabletop Transformations podcast and I ran one of my games, which was like a one page solo game called The End and the Beginning, where you kind of play as this being who has to watch the end of a world. And it was it was made for solo play, but we I've kind of converted it to be used in this space um, for like group group play. And so you collectively get to work together to kind of dream up this new world and dream up its problems, dream up its golden age, dream up the best things about it. It's it's complications, it's contradictions. And then you get to dream. Then you work together to kind of see this world come to an end. And in the sense of like you get to watch this world come to life and pass. And so one of the things I really talked about when I, I gave this presentation was about how useful this game could be for helping us process death um, and process uh, that, that, that strenuous, that thing that comes with dealing with death and loss and brokenness in the world. And, and so the games don't have to be inherently spiritual at all, uh, I think, but some do. I've made a couple of games that are very much geared towards, towards specifically being kind of spiritual, uh, religious, uh, explorations uh but they don't have to be that we can play dungeons and dragons right now and we could still do this work uh and we could still do that processing and you know like in my own practice like if it's like with the individual i might like give them like solo games to play or whatever and come back or we might play a game like dream chaser which is just fantastic you should check it out um or and then like every other session is like we we play and then the next session is really just us diving deep in like regular spiritual direction but reflecting back on kind of what happened in the game and what it means for us and so uh and it means for the people who played and so we have these things like we talk about is um bleed and alibi so like bleed is what happens when when we allow certain aspects of who we are to kind of bleed into our characters even if we want to play like the most ridiculous character right like matt what are you playing right now like if you're playing D D, like what is your class and your your character and your race or whatever well i'm the i'm usually the dungeon master oh. which is uh the bleed there is that i'm in control of everything mm -hmm. and telling people to do <laughs> are, are you the forever dm in your group yeah always i'm the person that knows the rules for some <laughs> reason though dean was running a game uh a while back and i was playing as a as a character and i was uh um we, we were playing this game called comrades which is a powered by the apocalypse uh game that's about um like revolutionary movements and it was sort of set in this uh this gilded age united states where i was a iww like traveling uh hobo so there's that right that going on <laughs> cool 
And, you know, so, yeah, so, like, you you can play the most, like, non-like you character, right? But bleed happens. Sure. Certain things about your personality are going to come through. And the same thing, it's like alibi. You have alibi. You might do something in a game. You'd say, I would never do that. That's just my character, you know? You kind of give yourself a way out, but it also offers, it opens up the door or opportunity for like reflection of like, well, why, if, if I would never do those things, why did I, why would I choose to do those? Why would I choose to go that route in this situation or, or whatever? Um, so I, I just really think it's very uh, fertile soil for that kind of thing, you know, especially the, just the work of spiritual direction and self-discovery. Uh, because I think for me, mine, my, this argument I'm making for it at least is like really rooted in my own experience of it because I was able to really deal with a lot of my theological contradictions and doubts at the table uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, <laughs> and which sounds probably just re- so ridiculous to so many people. Um, but it, it's really true, you know, um, and I'm thankful for that. And so I, I like I said, I, I use them in my practice in that way. Uh, I kind of I've written a few games that kind of help uh, hopefully facilitate that re- self-reflection in, in that kind of way. Um, and I love doing it. It's it's obviously very niche. It's kind of hard finding people who are willing to do that are interested in self discovery, spiritual <laughs> spiritual discovery, and uh, role playing games. Uh, so it's a very niche thing. It's not like you know, um, it's not for everyone, and that's like fine. But it, it's definitely something I'm I'm continually trying to work out theologically and practically, and like what it looks like and how useful it is in the spaces, and and c- maybe could be for like spiritual communities and those kind of things. Yeah, man, it's so cool to hear you talk through all this and uh, kind of give some vocabulary to the things I think I've noticed in games, but never really knew exactly what to say about it. Self-discovery is a great is a great way to think about role-playing games because you you do a lot of that, maybe inadvertently sometimes. I mean, at this point in my life, I think I do like being the dungeon master because I can avoid some self-discovery. <laughs> I think I want to keep some of myself sort of undiscovered at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, keep it a mystery. But... Um, but speaking of that, though, the, the, it reminds me of this moment uh, in college when I was uh, I was playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, probably going doing doing more Dungeons and Dragons than homework, which was a problem. But anyways, there was this, this moment I, I was at a Christian school and, of course, my entire party, we were all sort of like evangelicals or kind of figuring out how to jettison evangelicalism or something but there was this part where the there's this guy who was in our, our campaign and he was a cleric. And this is 3.5, in case that's important for anybody. And in it, it kind of like caught up in the moment of the game, he starts like praying to Paylor or whoever. And all of a sudden we all stop and we're like, at first we're all like, should we do this? Like, this, is, <laughs> this seems bad. <laughs> but then but then it kind of like dawned on us, like, wait a minute. Is this what we sound like? <laughs> is this what we sound like when we're at church? <laughs> it's sort of like this moment where all of the weird religiosity uh, that we are, you know, so accustomed to becomes explicated from us because, like, now it's in this extremely bizarre environment. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I-, I think that you're onto something, Ryan. Um, role playing games can be really philosophical and uh, <laughs> sometimes troublingly so. Yeah, I like I said, I-, I I love them. I'm like a huge RPG nerd. I was. I was out of the loop for a long time. Like I was a part of a campaign, uh, a part of building really a world uh, with a couple different campaigns, but primarily a, a main story campaign that lasted like six years, uh, which is like ungodly long uh, for most people to think about playing a game every week for six years um, and the same story or whatever. But um, 
I got out of it for a long time, like, of course, getting busy with kids and stuff. And it's just been the last couple of years that I really just dove right back into it um, and creating and exploring those things. And, and a lot of it is because I like I spent a lot of time thinking back about how like important that space was for me as a youth and as a teenager and how wildly formative it was in my own self-discovery. And so that kind of really brought me back to the table, so to speak. Um, and so it, it's still ongoing. It's, it's still a constructive project. Like I said, there's literally just a couple of us uh, who are, that we know of at least in the, uh, in the States doing this kind of work uh, and exploring it and trying to flesh it out more. Uh, but it, it's such a huge privilege uh, to be able to get to do that and talk about it and use it and people be guinea pigs and, you know, uh, it's it's people don't think Dungeons and Dragons, which I actually don't play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons these days. But people don't think like tabletop role playing games when they think about self discovery or especially spiritual discovery. So um, it's an interesting space for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, as we're getting to the end here, uh, first of all, what's what are maybe some next steps for Jubilee House and your work in general? And then secondly, if people want to support what you're up to, find what you're up to. Anything you want to plug at the end here? Uh, how might they do that? And uh, what do you want to make people aware of? Yeah, so uh, next test for Jubilee is, uh, like I said, well, last Saturday we had our first free store. So we're going to like do those monthly. And so getting those kind of in the rotation of like our work, uh, it, takes a, it takes a lot of work to get those like prepared and, and done. Uh, but the big next step for us is getting everything finalized on the land and building. Because even though like, Technically, the decision was made months ago. Like, it's been like a long, a lot of paperwork and those kind of things, you know, a lot of legal stuff, getting all the language right or whatever. I also, something I totally failed to mention um, is that Jubilee House is now partnered with Transform Network, which is, um, which is a nonprofit that um, really focuses on like prophetic ministry and, and supporting prophetic ministry and cultivating those kind of things. Uh, and if you didn't get a chance to check them out, Transform Network, they're so rad. They're like our fiscal sponsor. So like instead of us having to jump right into like trying to figure out all the legality around 501c3s and nonprofit stuff, uh, they kind of come in uh, as over that as uh, not only as like mentors and kind of helping us navigate the back end, but just like having giving us like critical support on like managing funds and making sure everything just comes out the way that it needs to uh, on the legal end and the financial end and supporting us in whatever ways, other ways, like the, the projects we're doing, like they're really stoked about being able to come down and, and like uh, help some, see some of these things come to fruition, which is just really cool. And that's kind of happened because like um, one thing is really important for us because like we're not connected to a denomination is like to have some kind of oversight. And so um, that partnership is is still also like all the back end things are getting worked out for that, even though like technically I think it in early May is when we like made the official announcement or whatever. Um, but as far as like really next steps for us is getting phase one of the farm up and running. And so uh, y'all may have seen it. I posted kind of a, a mock up image of kind of like uh, phase one for like the front end of the property, which is just a, a few lots where we're gonna have like 20 raised beds, like a water capture system, a play area for kids, and like just a bunch of like fruit trees and wildflowers and things to kind of help uh, pollination. And our goal is to get that done come the fall. Um, so maybe we could plant some late fall crops that would just be fully like community harvested in the sense of like 
anything that grows, people can just come get out of those garden beds and then come for the next garden season. People can reserve those garden beds um, to have for the whole season to grow whatever they want in those. And so that's the big thing we're trying to get worked out now. We just got all the soil donated that we needed, um, working on getting all the other materials donated so we can get those garden beds built. Um, and that's what we, uh, the shirt that Dane, you, you're wearing right now, uh, we have a shirt. We, uh, we always say we have the saying that it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but also serious uh, that, you know, resist the devil, feed the people. And so we made a design for the shirt and like all the funds for that go, um, go to the farm and go to help this phase one of getting uh, the, the community garden beds set up. Um, so, yeah, that's what's next for us as far as Jubilee goes trying to get those things just in place so we can get uh, get some seeds in the ground, uh, which is super exciting. Um, we've run into a few issues with like nonprofits wanting to help, but wanting us to basically jump through just insane hoops before they're willing to like give money or help. And so it's just like, you know, here we are uh, dealing with a nonprofit industrial complex <laughs> uh, and just realizing like, hey, we're just going to have to do this on our own in the sense of figuring it out. So. Uh, those are the next steps for us. Um, you can find all the information uh, on jubileehouse.co. Uh, um, you can find from there on our on our on our uh, Twitter or Facebook. You can find out like where to buy their shirts or those kind of things. So yeah. Um, and if you're interested in the just weird tabletop role playing games that uh, the game design co op that I am now a part of makes, you can find those at paradoxpress.games. All very good things. You should get this great T-shirt. I love it. It gets a lot of good comments. I had some uh, some high school students I was working with, and they were extremely into it. So the teens are loving it. I can give you that on good authority. Um, also, the role playing games are great. Uh, I uh, actually just this past week I had to do like a team building exercise at work, which I'm not very gifted at. And uh, in my scrambling to figure it out, I reached out to Ryan, and I was like. Can I do one of your games? <laughs> and, uh, uh, I think it would have worked great, but I ran out of time to do it. So I've got it in my back pocket. Uh, the game specifically was Monster Tower, and I'm holding on to it. I can't wait to run it. I think uh, my boss listens to this podcast occasionally. So shout out to you, Luke. Um, you're going to play this game <laughs> at some point for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely check those out. Uh, Ryan, it's a blast to have you back. So exciting to hear about all this stuff. Matt and I have not had guests in a long time. So we had Hector last week. We've got you back this time. And uh, it's such a joy just to be able to like hear somebody else share what's going on in their extremely cool corner of the world. So we appreciate you coming and sharing about all this cool stuff in uh, in Walker County, Alabama. Yeah. So again, just so stoked to be on. I'll gladly be on anytime if uh, you'll feel like you want to hear more updates. So hopefully uh, in the next few months, some things will be even moving even faster. And uh, come next year, we'll have a lot more to update on too, I'm sure. So I'm always thankful for the opportunity to come talk with y'all and, and touch base and all those good things. Cool. We should say at the end, uh, uh, Ryan has been publicly angling to become the most uh, <laughs> the most frequent guest on this podcast. And he does have a long way to go. Uh, competing, I think Matt and I decided with Jim Hodgson, who's probably been on here, what, five or six times, maybe? So uh, we'll see. But, Sorry, you know, man. this is the opening salvos of the campaign. The I'm coming salvos. for his title. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> coming for the title. Announcing his campaign. That's right. yeah, yeah. I got a ways to go, but, uh, you know, I think probably my goal is, you know, if I can be the person who's got the most episodes, guest episodes of Magnificast, but then ultimately I realize I'll probably have, like, 
the least like intelligible conversations in the sense of like <laughs> the academics and like all the people who are like just really skilled at like what they do is like academics and in, in politics and theology. And, um, but I'm fine with that. So long as I get the most, um, I will come on here and rant and uh, ramble about all the weird stuff we're doing in the backwoods of Alabama. Uh, and I just yeah. want to be able to do it the most. So we'll see. We'll, we'll try to, maybe we'll do a let's play podcast or something at some point. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. More importantly, you can support Ryan in all kinds of ways that are listed here in the show notes and that we just heard about at the end of this episode. And we encourage you to do it. Ryan is out there really doing it, doing some great stuff. And it would be great to have a, a little bit of a Magnificast bump. Maybe that's what we're testing out here. <laughs> How far does our reach really go? We'll see. Uh, support Ryan, what he's got going on. Our music is by Amaria Armstrong. Our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. And we'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Lisa, what else?